You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Brad Jones. I'm so excited to be at church with you all, and I am hopeful and humbled to be bringing this word to you today. I'm really believing that God has something for you. I hope you believe it. And I hope you'll lean in, right? Because we're coming underneath God's word. We're not in a building together, but we are under God's word together. And he knows us. He knows who we are. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we need. And I believe with all my heart, he has something for all of us today. So let's lean in. I want to say before I jump in, I am so grateful for the Big C Church. How cool is it that all over the world right now, people are leaning in, not in buildings, but connected together as a church, not neglecting the priority it should be in our life. I also love our church, Passion City Church. I love that in these dark and uncertain days, our church is shining bright for the name of God, for the glory of God. I'm so grateful for our pastor Louie and Shelly as they lead us in these days, as they help us, encourage us, but also push us forward to help reach our cities and the world. And I'm just excited. I wish you all were here, but I'm excited to be sharing this word. We're starting a new series called Anchor. Why what matters most matters to you. It's a little bit hard to say, but it's powerful. Anchor, why what matters most matters to you. And I must admit, I haven't had a lot of experience with anchors. I haven't spent a lot of time on the water, on boats. I grew up in West Texas. I don't know if you've been there, but it's, water's not plentiful. It's a bunch of dry riverbeds and not a lot of lakes. And you don't probably want me operating your boat. Um, but I have, I have been surfing once. And I don't know about you, but I hated it. I don't know if that's too strong of a word for a pastor to use. I strongly disliked surfing. And I know if you're one of those cool kids around the world that just has that long flowing hair and looks good in a wetsuit and just gets up on the wave and coast and rolls and everybody so impressive, I'd just say, God bless you. But that was not my experience. When I went surfing, it was cold and it was very hard, a lot harder than I thought it would be because... As you can tell, I'm very athletic. They're kind of athletic, but not when it came to surfing, right? Before I even got the chance to jump up on the board and ride a wave, I was exhausted trying to either duck under or ride over the waves. And then let alone just trying to stand up and time after time, I felt like I was just getting pounded against the board, thrown back and forth by the water. Some, you know, my best friend that I was out there with, I'd grown up with him, was able to beat him, no offense to him, in most things growing up, most sports. But he's just rolling, having fun, looking easy, coasting, right? an eight-year-old girl riding by me. There's a grandpa. I'm like, there was no fruits of the spirit coming out of my life that day. It was a lot. I was exhausted. I was frustrated. I was jealous. I was trying to figure out how to knock other people off their boards or get in their way. I was bleeding. I had taken the board uh, to the head a few too many times. But what I learned that day is what we all know, is that waves and wind are powerful. And some of them just give a little bump, right? But some of them are strong enough to take you out. And when it comes to waves and wind, we need to be anchored. We need to be secure. And that is God's heart for you and for me, right? It's not if the storms come. We know that now more than ever. And for for some of you, this season's just been a little bump, a little inconvenience. But for some, this has been the hardest season of your life. 
It's not if the storm comes, but it's when. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. So he didn't just stop with the trouble. Trouble. He didn't ignore it. He said, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We need to be anchored. God doesn't want us tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, but he wants you and me to live secure, steady, firm, strong for whatever comes our way. We're going to look today at the story of a man in scripture. Many of you know about him. It's in John chapter three. This guy was anchored to what mattered most. And there's a lot that we can learn from him. If you grew up in church, you've heard about John the Baptist. A lot of different ways to describe him. The word I pick is unique. Some might say weird. Some might say different. The scripture says that he lived in the wilderness and he ate wild honey and locust. I'm like, of all the things to get documented about you, it seems like more of a survivor type candidate versus going on The Bachelor. Maybe not the kind of guy most parents are hoping their daughter brings home. He was a unique individual, but he also was very popular, successful, He had a specific calling on his life. Crowds were coming out from Jerusalem to the Judean wilderness to hear this man preach and to get baptized by him. And it was uh, pretty amazing. He came as a forerunner to Jesus and the calling on his life was to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus, to announce to everyone, yes, there's been 400 years of silence, but Jesus is coming. He's on the way. This was John's life. And in John 3, There's a little bit of a situation that pops up. Verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and he was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. I don't know if you see what's happening, but you have two men of God. One's the son of God, one's John the Baptist, right? But not everybody knows who the two are, but you have two men in their ministries baptizing people in the same area. So Jesus had gone actually to be baptized by John the Baptist, but now he's with his disciples and they're doing the same thing John and his disciples had been doing. And we got a little conflict. We got a little competition, right? Let's keep going. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification or over baptism. So the baptism debate is not a new debate. It says, they came to John, the disciples and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he's baptizing and uh uh-oh, all are going to him. And as a pastor, come on, we can relate. Even in this COVID zone, I can admit that if I'm not careful, I log on to watch what other people are doing, not so much just to celebrate and learn, but sometimes compete. But let's be honest, we're all in this competition that John found himself in. And we all have to answer the question, is our life about our fame, our success, what we want, what we need, our comfort, our popularity, whatever our life is gonna be about, or do we care most about God's fame or God's success or God's name and Jesus being known more than we do? Let's see what John said. He says, 
John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him. He rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. These are some of the most powerful words that have ever come out of a human's mouth. And Jesus said of John the Baptist, he is one of the greatest men or women to have ever lived. And it's because we can see through these words and through his life that he was anchored to the glory of God. He existed, he was passionate about, he desired because when his disciples, right, tried to push him to the middle and make it about him, he desired God's glory, the glory of Jesus, the fame of Jesus, the renown of Jesus, the success of Jesus, even more than his own. Now, for some of you, God's glory being an anchor to hold our lives is not a new idea. If you've been around passion, you know this is what we are rooted in. Isaiah 26, eight, right? Some of you, it's for your name, Lord, and your renown are the desire of our souls. Some of you are wondering where John Piper is. You're like, isn't this what Piper brings to the conferences and to the movement? Well, we, we flipped a coin and it was either me or John Piper and landed on me. So it must've been God's will. No, so it, this has been our history, our DNA. Even going back, we just passed the 20 year mark of one day 2000, a generation on a field outside of Memphis, Memphis that would change the world because a generation wanted God's name, God's fame, God's renown more than their own. But I also realize for some of you, this is a new idea. This is a crazy idea. This is a far-fetched idea. This, this, this is impossible. You're like, Brad, slow down. I'm just proud that I'm at church. I know I'm not in a building, but come on, at least I logged on to YouTube. So can you just give me a little shout out, a little pat on the back for that? You're like, I, I just need a little hope. I'm just trying to do what is right. I, I'm not ready. I don't even think it's possible to live for God's glory. But whether it's a new concept for you, a new idea, or something that you've known for a long time, I think for all of us, it's easier said than done. Why? Because we're all infected with something called pride in sin. And what does that pride do? It tries to pull us to the center. It tries to make us the middle of our story where everything and everyone revolves around us, orbits around us and worships us. And we, our pride puts us in the center, even though we're not, we're not capable of handling that type of glory and worship, right? So I've got a few questions today. One, do you want your life to matter, to be anchored in God's glory? And if so, how do we do that? Do we want God's, light, God's glory to be the anchor of our lives? And if so, how does his glory become the desire of our souls? Well, I think there's a few things. We'll go back to John chapter three. First, we must understand that what matters most to God is 
God's glory. Let me say it again. What we must understand that what matters most to God is God's glory. Before you write that off, let me explain it a little bit. Go back to verse 30. John said, he must increase. And that word must, just say it, must, must. It's a weird word to say by itself. Maybe in your living room or in your group, you're like hearing a bunch of people say that right now, but must does not mean maybe, or I hope, or I think, or, or one day, or, uh, you know, I'm not really sure. Must is necessary, proper, essential. And what John is saying is actually what God has always said, because God's glory wasn't John the Baptist's idea. It wasn't John Piper's idea, but we're so grateful for how God used him. It wasn't Louis or Passion's idea, but come on, we're so grateful that it's been illuminated through those men for us. God's glory is always, has always been his idea. The way to, another way to translate the word must is the determined will of God. So God cares most about God's glory. I'm doing my best here to define it, but you see it right on every page of scripture that God is always working to display his value, his infinite worth, that there is no one like him, that he stands above them all. No one's in his league. No one rivals him. No one holds a candle to his glory, power, and authority. He is always working to display that. And he was always working to receive what he alone deserves. Praise, honor, glory, worship. God cares most about his glory. And you see it on every page of the scripture. Early on in the days of Passion City, there was just a small group of us. And we were meeting as 2009 and we hadn't yet opened the doors to the church, but we'd been in the seedbed of passion, the passion movement, passion conferences. And there was a small group and we were dreaming and planning, casting vision, praying for what God was going to do, hopefully reach Atlanta, Georgia, also reach the ends of the earth. We had no idea at the time that Washington DC would be the next city we would go to. But I remember one night, Pastor Louis gave us some homework. He said, hey, when you come back next time, I need you to bring, you know, some answers. And I'm like, homework? This is a prayer meeting. This is a vision cast. We don't, we're done with school. Why do we need homework? And he just said, hey, come with a verse or a passage of scripture that talks about God being motivated by his glory, working for his glory. Like, okay, well, you asked us to, and it's not a super hard project. So the next time we came back and we all went around the circle and shared about God wanting, being motivated by his glory, God caring about his glory. And it wasn't hard to realize that it turns out it's on every page. It's the, it's the thread, to borrow this from Pastor Louis, that runs throughout all of history, all of eternity, and all of scripture, right? Psalm 90, you see it. Before the mountains were born from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Psalm 19, one, you see that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Uh, Isaiah chapter six, there's angels circling the throne that are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full 
of his glory. You see it in Jesus. God gave Jesus the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see it in the church, Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able, come on, able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Colossians 1, all things were made by God and for God. Colossians 3, whatever you do, do it all for the glory. It's the thread. It is everywhere. God is saying, I'm motivated. I care what matters most to me is my glory. And you're like, okay, I'm going to borrow from John Piper here, but does not, doesn't that sound egotistical? Does this make God an egomaniac where it's just all about him and doesn't matter about anybody else? And it does unless God is truly the best. And if there is no one like him, that no one that compares to him, no one that matches his glory and worth. And if that is true, then the most loving thing that God can do is to make himself the center of our worlds because we should not, don't deserve, aren't good at being God. Only one is God. And the best thing he can do for us is help us see that and ask us and invite us for our lives to revolve around him. But back to sin and pride, we've been fooled. And the devil has convinced us, the world has convinced us that it should be all about us and that our name should be on every page. I, I brought a high school yearbook from the class of 1997, Canyon, Texas, says wind beneath our wings. And this is actually my sister. So I had my mom over, uh, send it to me. I didn't want there to be an embarrassing love note in there. So I went with my sisters, but uh, there, there's some good things in here. Um, let's just see if I can find uh, freshman Brad Jones right there in the middle. Oh, if he would have only known how quickly the hair would go away. But looking good, Brad. I also really love this. One of, my, one of the guys that was looking at the yearbook pointed this out. It says, on the same page, there's some great content in this, by the way. They're just friends. While some may think they're a hot item, they choose to remain pals. Check out this story from the ninth grade. Freshmen Samantha Huey and Brad Jones also like hanging out around each other. <laughs> we go driving around and go to Amarillo and do stuff, Huey said. He's not embarrassed to say that I'm his good friend. Huey and Jones have known each other for, since second grade. Their families are good friends and they do things together. She's always there to help me out when I need it, Jones said. Common interests some, sometimes brought friends closer. <laughs> Am I red? Am I blushing? I mean, that, that's in my yearbook. That's in my annual. But here's the thing. I don't know if these are still a thing. I don't know if they're still around, around the world. You might not have these, but I know every year when this, we got this, I, I might've gone to look at my picture, but I, I think the first thing I ever went to was the very back because in our yearbooks, the very back had every person's name in our high school listed and how many times and what page they were mentioned on. And for me, I went straight to my name, Brad Jones, and I counted one, two, three, 
four, five, six, seven. And I counted to see how many times this story that was not about me, that was about the, the class of, you know, the high school of 1997 to the class of 2000. But what I cared about is how many times I was mentioned. Was it about me enough? Was my name in there enough? Did I have enough glory or credit or honor? And then I would start looking around and be like, okay, let's see. Tori Giddens, three mentions, I had seven. Okay, I'm ahead of him. Jonathan Lair, also three mentions, I have seven. Feeling pretty good. But then I looked at Brad Hickman and he had nine. Or Michael Kelly, oh no, I don't like Michael Kelly. He had like 12. And this is what the devil's done to us. He's tricked us into thinking that life is all about us and it should revolve around us. And it should be about us. And so it it is tricky and it leads to jealousy or envy or bitterness or lack of self-worth. And we're just thinking that if we're in there a lot, then we must be good. But what happens when that fades and our life doesn't mean that much? Or if we're not in there, maybe people don't care about us. Maybe our life doesn't matter, but it's all based on earthly glory. And it's not what's going to fill your soul and satisfy the longings of your heart. God cares most about his glory because it's the best thing. He is the best thing. And it's the greatest thing he could ever do for us is help us see that. That's the next thing. If we want to really live for God's glory, we must remember that it's what matters most to God, but we should also pray for the increase. And you're like, okay, Brad, Now you're talking and you say that again. If we want to live for God's glory, we need to pray for the increase. You're like, well, actually nobody needs to tell me. That's a good point, but I already pray for the increase. I'm looking for the increase, the money, the friends, the dates, the, you know, followers. I want the increase. We all want to increase. But what John's saying when he says he must increase, he's talking about God's fame, but I say we must pray for the increase of revelation, of supernatural sight, of having our eyes open. That's what we need to be praying for, right? Because we're not just going to force ourselves to live for God's glory. It's not just a program we sign up for or something we check off the list or we just start saying, I'm, I'm going to live for God's glory. You know, I'm just that kind of guy. It's like, no, we will glorify what we have seen as valuable. And so God's not trying to force you to submit to something that you haven't seen. He's working to open your eyes so you can see, right? We sang the song earlier, come on and praise him. What was the first line? See, and then the second verse or the second line started with behold, God wants you to see, to have your eyes opened, to give you a glimpse You won't see in full, but you can see in part. And the more we see, the more we will respond with glorify, with glory, giving honor and praise to God. That's what scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter four. Check this out. Verse five, for God, or for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge 
of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's letting his light shine, right? That's creation. That's the skies. That's the moon. That's the stars. That's the message of indescribable. If the earth was our golf ball, how great is our God? I'm going to let, leave that to Louis, right? But God has been working through creation, what? To not just give us a home to live in, but to reveal his glory of Jesus. He sent Jesus to explain God to make him known, right? He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact representation of his nature is what scripture says in Hebrews chapter one. And in the Bible, right? The Bible, scripture, this is not just a list of rules. This isn't, not, this isn't just a checklist or information. It is revelation. God's word to you and me to reveal or to show himself to us, to help us see. So if we want to be like John the Baptist, what do we need the most? We need the increase of revelation. We need to have our eyes opened, right? That's why John could say, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. The most mean, like meaningless task, menial task, right? is untying someone's shoes as a servant. And John said, I, I'm not even worthy to do that because Jesus is above all. He ranks before me because he was before me. There is no one like him. I'm just gonna bow and get low. He, he had his eyes opened and that's what we need. But I, I gotta ask, I'm gonna ask myself first, but I wanna ask you, do we really want that? Do we pray for that? Or, or is our interactions with God mostly just back the, about the increase? And yes, God does want to favor you and pour his blessings out on you. But the ultimate blessing is knowing God because he is the best, right? And so we should lean towards God, draw near to God. He will draw near to us. You knock and the door will be opened, right? This is God's heart for you. But is that what we want? I don't know about you, but for me, I, I know many of us are bored. We're stir crazy. And some of you might be homebodies, but even now you're like, where can I go? We're all, I think, thinking about places that we could go. I love to travel. And uh, most nights I just find myself Googling where I might could go. I know there's not many flights right now or I can't really go anywhere. Nothing's open, but it's just like I'm thinking and dreaming about places I could go. I, I bet you could name right now like three places. If you had the money and the time and it worked and things were open, and it was safe, you would go here in a heartbeat. I bet we could all name them. I mean, for crying out loud, I've even thought about going to Alabama. I'm so desperate just to get out of, you know, town. But it just made me think, am I dreaming? Am I longing for, am I thinking about this opportunity to see for myself firsthand to get more of a glimpse, not just go through the motions or not just think that I know things because I've grown up in church, but to have my eyes open, the scales lifted, the veil torn back so I get a greater glimpse of God. Because when we see how great God is, how awesome he is, then we will naturally glorify because of what we've seen and heard. What matters most to God is his glory. We will begin to glorify him when we understand that and when we have a greater glimpse by praying for the increase. But the last thing that we need to do is we need to embrace the decrease. And you're like, okay, you lost me, Brad. I'm supposed to 
embrace the decrease. Like I was tracking along, you're doing good, you're no Louis, but I, I was doing pretty good with you, but now you're wanting me to talk about decrease. I've seen enough decrease, thank you very much. Uh, I've lost family members or my paycheck is gone or I've gotten a family that's gone off to another zone in life. I've had a lot of hard times. My, the stock market's crashed. It feels like life is falling apart. Don't tell me to embrace the decrease. When embracing the decrease is actually finding the ultimate increase, right? It's finding that lasting joy and true significance is found when life is not all about us. So yes, God cares most about his glory, but he also cares most about your joy. And he knows your joy is found in experiencing the one and true only God who is glorious and above all things. And so he's inviting you and he's inviting me, come and taste and see that I am good, that I am loving, that I am gracious, that I have what is best for you. You're like, well, but if I embrace the decrease, that means I don't want to be successful. And some of you are like, this is where you struggle with God. Because if you're honest, you're like, I don't want to follow God. It means I'm going to miss out. I'm going to be marginalized. I'm going to be passed over, but he'd be made fun of. Everybody's going to have the fun except for me. I'm going to have to withhold. You just think it's all about a bunch of rules and things you can't do. No, it's God offering you his very best, the very best. What can only satisfy your soul in his presence is fullness of joy. Jesus came so we can have life and have it to the full. So don't believe the lie because this world's glory is a fading glory. It's temporary it won't feel the longing of your heart. So yes, desire success, work for success, do your best, but don't make success your God because it will never fill your heart. Don't build your life over on circumstantial happiness because that's a roller coaster and it comes and goes and it'll just leave us exhausted and hurting. Build your life on the rock that's sturdy, that's strong. And that rock is the glory of God and it won't buckle under your feet and it will fill your soul. You wanna matter. You wanna make a difference. You wanna help people. You wanna be remembered. You wanna leave a mark. If you wanna do that, and I believe God's hardwired that in all of us, then live your life for what matters most. And what matters most is what will last forever in the kingdom of God, right? Nothing can stop it. The things of this world will fade, but the things of eternity will last forever. And you and I have the chance to participate and live our lives and anchor our lives to that bedrock. And that will bring true joy and significance. I want to go back to the yearbook. This, this is cracking me up. Uh, we, were, we were just having fun looking at the different things. People were pointing it out. Going back to my seven mentions. Yeah, again, no big deal. I went to one of those mentions. Uh, the, some of them were like tennis or basketball. I was also in the musical. So it's a modern day Renaissance man. Your boy is. But one of the mentions, <laughs> one of the mentions, page 171 says spelling bee. Kindergarten may have been harder for some students than others. Freshman Brad Jones has the easiest name in school to spell. 
One of those seven mentions, I was like, come on, freshman Brad, he's made it. He's got more than his sister because my name is Brad Jones and it's nine letters and it's one of the most common names in America and it's easy to spell. Congratulations, Brad, you're awesome. Ife Sonia, Yuque may have the hardest and then mentions a few others. That's my legacy <laughs> from high school. He had the easiest name to spell. There's something greater. And it's called living for the glory of God. I know many of us are mourning and at the same time honoring and celebrating the life of Ravi Zacharias. But he would be a picture to us all. And sadly, his days on earth are done, but he is in the presence of glory. And just like John the Baptist, they're just so grateful that they had poured their life out for what matters most and built their life on the glory of God, his name being increased, his fame being known, his name being in the bright lights, because that's when we find the fullest satisfaction. You know, I know none of us know where this whole thing is going with COVID. But we are realizing we're entering a zone, some states and some countries earlier than others, where we're gonna have more of a choice as the economy and as businesses and life begins to open back up. It's gonna be the choice of what people choose to do or what they feel comfortable with. But I also want you to know you have the choice and I have the choice to today, today who or what are you gonna live for? You have one life. And I have one life. And I hope you'll see today that this life is brief. But for all of us, when we live for ourselves, no matter how much success or no matter what we worship, for all of us, there's a day coming when our life will fade, our flame will burn out. It is our life. You're like, well, my life is a little bit bigger match. I'm having more success, more credit. Oh, there's nothing more embarrassing trying to light this match in front of everybody. You're like, oh man, no, I, I know that other, that flame was small and that match was small, but this, is, I got some stuff. I got some stuff going for me. I, like, you know, people know who I am and my life matters and I'm successful, but it's still gonna fade because earthly glory fades the things of this world fade. You're like, yeah, but not this one, Brad. Not this one. This is my life. I got stuff. I'm popular. I'm successful. I don't want to give God credit for my success because I've worked really, really hard. Oh yeah? You have, and you should be proud of that. But you should also remember what John the Baptist knew, that everything that you have is a gift from God. And so no matter how far the flame burns in and of itself, earthly glory fades. But I want you to know today, there is a flame that's called the bright light of the glory of God. And it's not burning out. It's never gonna burn out. It's actually gonna be a consuming fire and the invitation, the gracious invitation on the table for you and for me every single day is to bring our flame 
and attach it, have it consumed by the eternal flame. And when our flame is in the eternal flame, I couldn't bring that flame because there's no way to picture that right. But when our flame meets God's flame, it's never fading out. It's never being extinguished. It's never going away. It's gonna burn and it's gonna give light, right? We're a city on a hill so people would see our light and then glorify the Father. This is joy, this is significance. This is why John the Baptist would say, my joy is now complete. Or he said, I'm I'm the best man at the wedding. He knew he wasn't the groom. And no best man tries to get the bride's attention, right? The best man just says, the groom's awesome. The groom's great. Here he is, you chose well. And he said he rejoiced greatly at seeing the groom and the the bridegroom and the bride come together because God sent Jesus as the groom to gather his church, the bride, you and me, to redeem us, to wash us white as snow, to bring us back to himself, to take us to heaven forever with him, right? And John the Baptist, the servant, the successful, the significant servant rejoiced and his joy was made complete because he was anchored on the glory of God. He was so anchored on the glory of God that even in the hardest days, he kept saying, Jesus, Jesus, there's no one like him. Jesus, Jesus, his name is above every name. Jesus, Jesus, may your name increase. Because John the Baptist, his life ended when his head was cut off by the king. And yes, the king actually wanted to hear John the Baptist preach, but the king's wife asked for John the Baptist's head and the king gave it to her. But even in the end, John didn't take his gaze off of Jesus. He didn't change his heart to see the name of God increase. And do you think he's in heaven right now going, oh man, I should have, I should have backed out on my faith or I should have renounced Jesus or I shouldn't have been so bold. No, he's in glory saying, I gave it all I had and I see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, it's not gonna be like, oh cool, is that, that Jesus? No, when we see Jesus, we will bow. So let's begin to bow right now every day by saying, God, be the center. Don't let pride pull us. Jesus, you be the center. You alone deserve it. You alone can handle it. You alone are sure, steady, a rock. I wanna put you in the center and build my life on you. I wanna mention one last passage of scripture. And to be honest, I was back and forth. But I had a conversation yesterday that I just can't shake. I was out and I ran into a guy I knew a little bit. And for whatever reason, I felt like God was putting on my heart to tell him, invite him to church. It's easier than ever to invite someone to church. Him and I had never talked about church. I don't think he knew I was a pastor, but I thought, well, maybe if I tell him I'm preaching and there's gonna be a lot of people watching, he may be like, oh, cool, I'll watch him. So I was like, hey man, um, I don't know if you're into this thing, but I'm a pastor. And I just, I'm giving a message tomorrow. I really felt like maybe you would want to hear it. He shut me down immediately. And he said that, hey man, that's not my thing. Thank you. But maybe we can, you know, grab a cup of coffee or a beer sometime and we can talk about it. And I was like, man, I'd be, I'd love to talk to you. But then I just left, away, left going, one, encouraged that a door's been opened. But just also bummed that he... He just like shut me down. He's like, I, I, I don't want to be like so fire and brimstone, but 
hopefully there's more chances for me and him or for him and somebody else or for God to reveal himself sometime. But I just, I took a shot and I don't know how many more chances I'm gonna get with him. And I don't know how long his life's gonna last. And I know that he's on a collision course, just like all of us are with God's glory. The stakes are really high. So it's not just like, oh, cool, man. You don't like Jesus? Cool, I'm gonna do my own thing. Never talk to you about it again. I'm like, no, this is the difference between death and life. The stakes are high. And I want him, like we have, choose life that's only found in Jesus. And it made me think of Daniel chapter 5, verse 22. And God's speaking through Daniel and he says, And you, his son, Belshazzar, he's a king, you have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all of this, that God was alone God, said, you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in front of, of his temple have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them. You've turned your back. You've rebelled against God and his holy things. said, you don't care. You're doing your own thing. You're going your own way. He says, you've praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose whose are all your ways you have not honored. Like, sadly, that's true. And yes, in all of us, there's, it's always going to be marred by sin. There's always going to be the struggle. So I'm not up here acting like I'm perfect or I got it all together, that I'm John the Baptist every day, just waking up. God, I pray that you would increase today. And I just want to decrease because that just feels so fun to pray. And that feels so natural to pray. No, but I, I long for it. I desire it. Because even me, If I'm not careful, I'll get sucked into thinking this message is all about how much you liked me or what you thought about it. And I would miss out on the chance to make much of God because I don't need to make much of myself because I can't save you. I can't change you. I can't open your eyes. I can't give you a brand new heart. Only Jesus can. I don't hold your breath. I don't hold your ways, but God does. And so my opportunity is then to take this moment and God willing every moment and God forgive me of all the moments I haven't to point towards Jesus, to point towards his glory, to anchor my life on the things that matter most. But have you bowed? You're on a collision course with God's glory. And there's one day you'll see face to face and you, the only thing you can do is fall, is to bow, is to be face down. So why don't you start now? This chapter goes on in verse 30 and says that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. No one knows how much time. My friend, I was talking to you yesterday, God willing, I'll have more chances. But until then, I'm gonna give every shot that I can to say, choose life, choose Jesus. Build your life, not on the things of this world that will buckle, that will fall, that will fade, that will splinter, that will crack, that will erode. Don't build your life on those things. 
build your life on God in his glory because he's a flame, a fire that's never fading. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.